Our first reading from the Word this morning comes from page 301 of your Pew Bibles, 1 Kings 19, beginning at verse 1. Ahab and Jezebel reigned for 22 years in the North Kingdom. They set the gold standard in a negative way for evil and immorality in Israel. Hear the word of the Lord. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had handled, how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I know better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him. And said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb. The Mount of God. Our New Testament reading comes today in two parts from the book of Hebrews. And it will be, uh, begin on page 1003 in your Pew Bible. Hear the Word of God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. I'm reading now in verse 9, chapter 4. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our memory verse is this... uh, passage from verse 16, and I'd like to invite you to join me in reading that together. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. One more time. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The address, Hebrews 4.16. And then if you'd like to page over a few pages for the second passage, which begins in chapter 12, verse 1. That's page 1008. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that he set before us, 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Mm. Thanks be to God. I have to tell you that uh, last evening, um, as we were preparing to come home, um, Kristen uh, gave us a wonderful teaching on the joy of the Lord. And uh, technically, um, our lesson today should have happened before that teaching. And I actually suggested that to Kristen, and she said, not going to happen, Pastor Dave. She did a wonderful job uh, there, but a little intimidating to be in front of you all. So understand that we, in a sense, have received the solution already. It comes to us from Nehemiah 8.10, joy. Joy is the solution. Experiencing that spiritual reality of Christ in your life is the solution. But I want to go back a step with you and show you how that works in the life of a follower of God. What does that, what does that look like? How do you understand when you find yourself in circumstances that I'm honestly are not joyful? They're not bringing you pleasure, as Kristen helped us understand. They're not happy circumstances. And they're not, they're not um, helping you enter into that spiritual reality of joy. What do we do then? And our guide for this experience is none other than, than Elijah. Do you remember that name, Elijah? It's a little confusing because his protege was called Elisha. But Elijah is the quintessential prophet of God. If you can summarize all the, 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 um, the people of God leading up to Jesus, you could, the shorthand for that in the Old Testament is the law or Moses the person that symbolizes that, and the prophets, and guess who? Elijah, who symbolizes that. So it's the word of God, and then the written word of God, spoken, written by the finger of God in tablets, and then also the word of God spoken through the Holy Spirit into our, our souls, and that we, we continue to share with other people. Moses and Elijah. You remember that Elijah had unusual circumstances at his death. Do you remember that? It's been portrayed myriad times in, uh, in movies and things like that. He, the best we can tell, he did not die. And for some reason, it's not ringing true to me, but I think I could say halfway safely that he's the only person in Scripture that did not die. It's a little questionable what happened to Enoch, but he was taken up by chariots. And, and so, so it's this mystery figure who represents the, the Word of God lived out in human beings' lives and spoken through human mouths. He represents that uh, in, in the Old Testament. And we have this amazing privilege of, of studying his life. It is, it is tumultuous. He did not do... He, he would not have survived in a Sunday school class, Right. He, he didn't uh, uh, do things the way polite society would do things. But, but God used him and God uh, uh, validated, validated this man's life. How? Because remember when Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration? Who was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration? This preview of the resurrected life. Jesus once said, Abraham is, right? <laughs> Abraham is, and, and, and he would say, Moses is, he did not die, he just, he just went to be with the Lord, and Elijah went to be with the Lord, and this amazing preview of our resurrected life, Jesus in his resurrection glory is standing there with Moses in his resurrection glory, and Elijah in his. So God validates this man's life. And you think, wow, he was a little crusty by our standards, but, but, um, but wow, what a life. He must have, he must have lived it right. I mean, he must have never had problems, right? He must have, he must have had that, that God ordained life. And no. No. Elijah, like Jesus, when we come later, was just like us. He experienced the same things that we did. 
experience, not to the same extent, but the same things that Jesus did as well. And whereas in the book of Hebrews, we, we realize that Jesus lived his life yet without sin, um, Elijah, uh, we can identify with a little better. Elijah was not um, averse to calling down fire from heaven to consuming people. One time, a, a king wanted to talk to him. I'm sorry to go on a bunny trail with you here, but for a second. And he sent 50 men to call to invite Elijah to come and speak with him. And Elijah called down fire and brimstone, consumed the 50 guys just like that. Poof. By the way, his protege, his protege, Elisha, did the same thing with teenagers. Been there myself once or twice. And uh, he, he, um, he called the bears out of the woods and the bears consumed all the teenagers. I've, I've called the bears a few times, but they never came. So the king sent another 50 men and Elijah called down fire and brimstone again, consumed the 50 men. I can't explain this to you. All I know is that later he was standing with Jesus in resurrected glory. So the king sent yet a third. How would you like to be the third group of 50 guys, right? There's a hundred carcasses lying on the ground. And the guy says, oh, please, Elijah, I got a family, you know. And God said, Elijah, don't consume these guys. Go with them. He was, he was not Jesus. <laughs> um, but he was a man whom, through whom God spoke. He was a person through whose life God spoke. So it's very important for us to understand it. Um, the most powerful, well, in my opinion, experience of his life was, was when um, Elijah began to think that uh, um, Ahab had been systematically persecuting the people of God. He'd been finding people who would would speak the words of God, either from Scripture or through the Holy Spirit's direction into their culture, and he was systematically putting them to death. He was systematically putting them to death. Ahab, the guy that Bill told you, not a nice guy, right? Not a nice wife, Jezebel. Um, He was systematically putting them to death. And and so uh, some of you have been there on Mount Carmel. Remember that? On Mount Carmel, he called together all the prophets, the false prophets, and, and had a contest to see who's God. The false prophets God, Baal or Baal or Ashtoreth, or, or the living God, Yahweh, whose God was stronger. And an amazing, amazing sequence of glory. Uh, God proved himself and destroyed the other prophets, the false prophets. And, and, and I, want to, I want you to watch what happened right here. People began to say, the Lord, he is God. The people began to shout that. Maybe starting with just a couple voices. The Lord, he is God. Say it with me. The Lord, he is God. And that word Lord, by the way, was the very name of God. Yahweh. Say it one more time. The Lord, he is God. You know what that is in Hebrew? You know what that, that phrase is in Hebrew? Elijah. What were they shouting? They were shouting, Elijah. I don't know about you, but if a bunch of people are shouting my name, it's really easy to get my priorities screwed up, right? I did it again. I'm trying to remove that word from my vocabulary and having trouble. Forgive me. Wow, Elijah. They're saying, Eli, Yahweh, the Lord, is God. But they're shouting, Elijah, 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 and Elijah's on a roll. He had prayed, and, and, and a drought came to prove God's power over the false gods of creation that, that people of Baal worship. He prayed and, and, and there was a drought for three years, right? And, and now, now God has had this wonderful victory. So Elijah wants to pray that the drought will stop. And so he bent down and prayed. And, and then looked up and nothing happened. Six times he bent down and prayed. Nothing's happening. He asked his servants, you see anything? Well, I see a tiny little, there's one over there, a tiny little cloud in the distance. And Elijah told Ahab, you better get ready, buddy, because there's going to be a flood. And in a, in a 
thing I can hardly understand, except I've experienced it twice, this burst of energy and strength that was not his. He ran literally, Kristen, a marathon. It was 26 miles. He ran 26 miles ahead of Ahab's horse and chariot. This guy is just on a roll, right? He's, he's just on a roll. And then Ahab's wife says, by the way, I'm going to kill you. And something snaps. Something just snaps. Have you ever had that happen? I've shared with you a couple of my spectacular snaps. I'm guessing that you're like me, that you can't explain it, but all of a sudden, all the things that you had, all the resources that you were drawing on before, all those, they're gone. They are gone. And, and, I mean, he just face down, was it 450? That number's not ringing true for me for some reason. Prophets of Baal, and, and now one, Woman is saying, now she's a powerful woman, she's mean, but says, I'm going to put you to death by tomorrow. He snaps and he begins running. Remember, he just ran a marathon. And he grabs his servant, the poor guy, and guess how far they go this time? 120 miles. And I don't know whether his servant passed out or whether Elijah had mercy or whether God directed him to leave the servant behind, but Elijah goes one more day's journey, another 12 to 20 miles into the middle of nowhere. And Bill picked up a story there and, and, and sits in the shade of a scrawny little broom tree and says, I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. Elijah's story is, is our story in a real way. You might not have gotten to that extreme. I pray that you haven't. But I'm guessing there are many in the room who have, and there are many who will. Right? There, there's no correlation here. Elijah's a man of God, God using him powerfully, and then one day something doesn't work. That's my question for today. What do we do when that happens? At whatever scale, when life doesn't seem to go the way we thought it would, what do we do? I want you to note what's going on in Elijah's life. Kristen taught um, us last evening on the importance of understanding the physical part of ourselves. Um, and we, the good part of that is we, she called pleasure. We, um, she taught us about the emotional part of ourself um, 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 that is dependent on circumstances, but, but that we seek happiness in that, right? But then she taught us especially about the solution, about the spiritual side when joy comes in to our life. Maybe you've been in this place where you're physically exhausted, you're emotionally spent, and you're spiritually helpless, right? What do you do? Well, many of us, like Elijah, run. We run. We run from some stuff and we run to some stuff. We run from um, our fears. We run to our distractions. We run to our amusements. We run to our addictions. Sometimes those addictions are playful things. I've got a couple of playful addictions. Um, sometimes our addiction, our work, we bury ourselves in our work only to find out at some point that that, that can't give life. Sometimes we even bury ourselves in church stuff, in religious stuff, right? I, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to run to doing religious things and somehow maybe to prove myself to God. But what are we really doing? We're not running to something. We're running from something, aren't we? What are we running from? We're like Elijah running from or out of our fear. Out of our fear. And Elijah, for Elijah, this great man of God, he was running from fear. Well, some of you might find yourself in that situation right now. You're running from something. It might be the law. It might be the IRS. It might be a difficult relationship. It might be that you're running from the very possibility of love. Because you can't take the pain of not experiencing it again. Some of us are running from death itself. 
or the, the fear that's driving us is death. And, that's, and, and, and welcome to the human race. That's a very real fear. And the gospel speaks into that fear, but it doesn't make it any less of fear. And many people are running from that. We're trying to do anything we can to somehow improve our situation or the situation of our loved ones should we die. But it's still running. And here's the problem, right? Like Elijah, we can't run forever. Sooner or later, for me sooner, sooner or later, the physical or the emotional or the spiritual exhaustion is going to catch up with you. And you're going to find yourself maybe in a ditch like Elijah, maybe in a valley, maybe in the valley of despair. Even even the most godly among us can find ourselves in that valley. In the midst of overwhelming floods, in the midst of fiery trials. Do you remember Isaiah 43? In Isaiah 43, um, very familiar passage to several of us, God speaks. Don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you. He says, I have called you by name, and you are mine. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear today. Don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. But listen, he just said that, right? I'm going to run a thousand miles with that statement. Then he says this, when you pass through the floods, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the Holy One of Israel, the Lord your God, your Savior. Isn't it interesting right now? With half of the West Coast on fire and the other half of our country underwater, isn't that interesting? That those two things... How many years ago? 2,800 years ago were still the thing that people feared. I'm not talking about the literal fires in Oregon and Washington and Montana. A million acres on fire in Montana alone. I'm not talking about the literal fires or the literal floods in Texas or in Florida. I'm talking about the emotional and spiritual ones which are just as challenging and which aren't geographically based, which can overwhelm you at any point. Did you hear God's word? I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When, not if, when you walk through the fire, when you experience the floods, I will be with you. I will be with you. Wow. The power of Elijah's story is that even the most godly, it's not, you don't look at your circumstances and evaluate someone's spirituality or their happiness or even their pleasure based on those circumstances. You can't do that. Even the most godly among us will find ourselves in that valley of despair. Even the most godly among us will find ourselves in the midst of overwhelming floods. Even the most godly among us will find ourselves in the midst of fiery, fiery trials. I wish that we had time. But but first Peter, that whole books about people who are experiencing fiery trials. Even the most godly among us experience those things. No. You know, the, the power of Elijah's story is that tells us that even the most godly of people can get discouraged. Even the most godly of people can get depressed. Even the most godly of people, even Jesus quoting the Psalms, can find themselves in the pit. 
we don't always live. I hope, I hope, I pray for the 26 of you that were involved with this retreat that, that that was a mountaintop experience, that you felt closer to God on this experience, that you made courageous choices that, that will um, redirect the trajectory of your life and your family's life. I know I've had many mountaintop experiences in my life, but here's the reality. We don't live on the mountain, do we? The very nature of the description means it's something unique and special. Most of us don't live on the mountain. We live in the valleys, right? We live in the valleys. Who was it? It was Peter, Paul, and Mary's Noel Paul Stuckey who said, there's a reason for living in the valley that only the mountain knows. He was, he was trying to say, we've got to have the mountaintop experiences, but we can't live there. We've got to go back down the hill like Jesus constantly took his disciples to the mountains and then took them back down the hill to the real world where real people uh, live and invited them to bring the mountain to the valley. And sometimes along the way we pass through overwhelming floods. Sometimes along the way we pass through fiery trials. But we have the same promise that Elijah had. We have the same promise that God gave Isaiah. We have the very promise of God. When you pass through the waters, did you hear it? I will be with you. Will you say that with me? When you pass through the waters, when you have fiery trials, when you live in the valley of despair, I will be with you. That's the promise of God for us here. It's interesting. Um, the, the whole of Isaiah's story is couched in this war with Syria, of all places. Guess what? And uh, does that sound familiar? ISIS, does that sound familiar? Um, and and the, um, the, the general in charge of Syria's army uh, learned that you cannot beat God on the mountain of God. And, and it actually says that in the next chapter, after our chapter today, he says, you know what our strategic mistake was? We tried to beat Israel in the mountains. So let's get them, let's draw them out to the valleys because we can beat them there. Does that sound familiar? I mean, nothing is new under the sun, right? <laughs> that, that sounds like the very voice of Satan saying, let's get them out in the open. Let's pick them off one by one. Let's get them to the valley of despair because we can defeat them there. But what God said in 1 Kings 20 is that the God of the mountain is also the God. By the way, El Shaddai, one of the earliest names of God, El Shaddai literally means, guess what? The God of the mountains. And we translate it in our Bibles, Almighty God, but it literally means the mountain God. Guess what Ben-Hadad discovered? That the God of the mountain is also the God of the valley. It doesn't matter to God where you find yourself. His presence is enough, right? But if today you find yourself in one of those low places, not I know I'm using an analogy, not a high place, but a low place. I've got great news for you. Great news for you. God meets us where we are, but invites us to where he is. I'm going to stay in the story for a second, then I'm going to come back to that thought at the very end. God meets us where we are. Where was Elijah? He was sitting under a broom tree 132 miles from anywhere. We felt a little bit like that on the retreat. We were out in the middle of nowhere, nowhere out there. And God met us there. Elijah was literally in the middle of nowhere. Other places in the Bible call that place the backside of the desert. <laughs> yeah, that's that word. The butt of the desert. The backside of the desert. And God met him there, right? How does he do it? How does he do it? Well, I want to note several things. First, God invites us into his presence. Hang with the story with me for a couple more minutes, and we're going to translate it to our situation. But in the story, right, God didn't, God sent an angel to speak to him there. He's exhausted. He's starving. And, and, and the angel meets him there. And what does he say? He says, eat 
eat and sleep. For you have a journey ahead of yourself. You have a journey ahead. He's gone 132 miles. How long was that journey? If you remember from what Bill said, however you understand it, that journey was 40 days and 40 nights. If that's literal, that means he was making, if, if the place that he went was where we think it is, it means he was making less than five miles a day. Yes. We tried to make 12 miles a day and made one mile an hour, and it was not possible. And I'll translate that to your journey, not physical one now, the emotional or spiritual journey. You're saying this is not possible. And God meets you where you are. He invites you to his presence. We're not there yet. We're not home yet, right? But God is inviting us home today. If you hear his voice, listen. Don't. How did you put it, Cheryl? Don't harden your heart. God is inviting you home. Where was that? It has many names. In this passage, it's called Mount Horeb. You know it by a different name. Mount Sinai. It was the same place. The same cave. Literally the same cave where Moses how many years before, maybe a thousand, eight hundred years before, had met God? And for, guess what? Forty days and forty nights, heard God speak to him, heard God empower him and call him to be his man, translate that, to be his woman, called him to God's purposes for him. God took Elijah, who knew that story inside out. He took him exactly that place. It was a huge journey. A long journey. But God invited him to where he was in that day. God dwelled on the mountain of God, right? That place where he was. And he invited him to partake of his provisions. And some of you, this is what you need to hear. You can't do this going 90 miles an hour every day of your life. At some point, you've got to rest. Person after person, I talked to this morning from the retreat, said, the first thing I did when I got home, what'd you do? I rested. A couple of you slept solid all the way through the night. When I was in Ventura, one of the things that struck me was the struggle that my father had getting rest. And... um, and he would only get it a couple hours at a time. And so he was trying to do things to help him get rest. It, just, it was a nightmare. And, and his, his schedule was almost completely off. About three quarters off. He was awake when he should be asleep and asleep when he should be awake. Right? Many of you who care for people in circumstances like a nursing home or something where the walls are the same every day, they lose track of that. Their schedules get all off. They get all anti-goggling, right? Um, God says, I have rest for you. And he provided that rest for him. Do not miss. We don't have time, but do not miss the, the, the rest that the author of the book of Hebrews was inviting us to. The imagery for eternity in the, author, in the book of Hebrews is rest. God is inviting you to his eternal rest, but he's not asking you to wait till then. Physical rest is important. Praise God, we have lots of resources, but far and away the greatest resources is to have a a light heart, to have the heavy burdens that you're carrying that you were never meant to carry removed, put, as many of us did this weekend, at the foot of the cross. Let the only one who's able to bear those burdens bear them and, and live Unburdened. He invites us to physical rest. He invites us to emotional contentment. The Apostle Paul would go into that in depth. I've learned to be content even under a broom tree in the wilderness, even being lashed 40, save one, right? Paul learned contentment. And what was the secret to it from Philippians? I can do, help me, all things through Christ. Help me who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, right? 
to emotional contentment. Most of all, God is inviting us to become spiritually alive. When Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow, what Elijah didn't realize was that something died in him spiritually. The fear of physical death killed something in him spiritually, and it was, he was as good as dead at that point. God, who raises the dead, speaks into our fears and says, be alive, women. Be alive, men, right? Because what the world really needs is not a zombie apocalypse, right? What the world really needs is men and women who are spiritually alive. And we're not afraid to live out that life, even in the face of overwhelming odds. He invites us to partake of his provisions. And he invites us to be strengthened. Now, not just with food, not just with water, but with his power. His power. To live not out of our own, but out of his power. So Paul, Paul, who learned this lesson the hard way in one of our favorite verses at Olivet here, says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about, guess what? Not my power, not my physical strength, my emotional strength, my spiritual magnitude. He says, I'm going to boast about my weakness. Why? Because when I boast about my weakness, the power of Christ rests upon me. And for the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with my weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamity. Why? Because when I am weak, guess who's strong? He is strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. So what do we do? What can we do today? First of all, in the midst, wherever you are, in, in seasons of joy, in seasons of brokenness, in seasons of despair, love and acknowledge or remember God. The story is not over. His story is not done, right? And his story worked out in your life. That's why I'm so excited about this conference coming up. His story worked out in your life is not done. The best part, the best part is still to come, right? How many of us, when we're reading a book or watching a movie, and it starts out good and you learn all the characters, and then conflict comes in, right? Something bad happens, right? And then things get, get really ugly, and it's not clear whether the person's going to survive. By the way, I hate dystopian movies where... Everybody dies and the movie ends. I'm going, what? You know, that doesn't work right. Every other story, of how many of us would stop right there and say, wow, that was a terrible story, right? No, we wait for the end. And, and the human heart cries out for a good ending. The human heart says there must be something really good. And, and I think, we are discovered this weekend, that, that what's happening is that our heart is crying out for God's story. Our heart is crying out for the redemption that only God can provide. And what he's saying in his word right here is, I will. No matter how bad it looks right now, I will meet you in that story, and I will provide for you. Psalm 91 says, Because you hold fast to me in love, I will deliver you. I will protect you, because you acknowledge my name. And when you call to me, I will answer you, and I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you and honor you with long life Will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. That's the word of God for you, beloved. So love and acknowledge him, right? The two questions there in Psalm 91 are, do you love God? I ask you that. Do you love God? Thanks for playing. Do you love God? Yeah, if we're afraid to say it in here, how are we ever going to say it out there? Do you acknowledge his name, Test? Don't let me down. Do you acknowledge his name? Yes. Is there any other name 
that embodies love and mercy and power? Is there? No. No. There is no other name. And God says to you, because you love me, and because you acknowledge my name, I will protect you. I will deliver you. I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you. Look at this. I will honor you. With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. Love and acknowledge God, but thank God also for his presence and and provisions. And uh, Kim Johnson, during the weekend, led us on an exercise uh, of, of how has God provided for us in the past? And, and doesn't it make sense that if, if we're not grateful for that, I'm petty enough that, that if I do something for, for someone and they don't, they don't even acknowledge that, you know, I'm sorry. I'm that petty. I'm going, well, forget it then. Right? That's the difference between Jesus and me. Right? If he forgot it, then we would have no salvation. Um, it makes sense, doesn't it? That we've got to stop once in a while. And by the way, I think what was happening for us, I can't speak for everybody, I think what was happening for us on the weekend was that as we did that, we go, oh, yeah. Yeah. God is good. And his word is true. And if he could do that for us in the past, even in this present situation, even in this present darkness, God can meet me here as well. Thank him for his presence. Thank him for his provisions, even when the circumstances, the happenstance of your life may tempt you to believe others. Here's a powerful truth. Here's a powerful truth that will set you free if you'll just accept it. And it's counterintuitive. So I understand that. I understand why it's hard to accept. You cannot make it on your own strength or reserves. Now, I'm not sure that you're there yet. So I want to invite you to risk saying that with me by faith. I'm not going to hold you accountable to this. This is not going to necessarily define your life. I just want you to hear yourself say it. Would you put the personal pronoun in there? Is it up there? Uh, we don't have it. Go one more. There we go. Um, would you put the personal pronoun in there? I. I cannot make it on my own strength or reserves. Did you say it one more time? I cannot make it on my own strength or re- What is the matter with you? Are you some kind of wimp or something? Pull yourself up. Get some backbone. Pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Nobody else is going to do it for you, right? That's the message of the world. And the follower of Christ says, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with this. I'm okay that I can't make it. I'm okay that I need a crutch. I'm okay to say, I need Jesus. I'm okay with that, right? Love and acknowledge God. Thank Him for His grace and, and His provisions. You you need things physically, emotionally, and spiritually that only God, yourself, even your family, the world can never provide them. You need things physically, emotionally, and spiritually that only God can provide. That's why we've got to stop running from God, right? And running instead to God. So pray. This is where we're going next week. Pray and listen for that still small voice, that thin silence, that very word of God for you in your circumstances. The small voice of God through his word and his spirit. This isn't in your notes, so scribble it in if you would. Over and over in all of our passages, God has invited us to acknowledge his name, yes, but to remember that we are not alone. When, when God spoke to Elijah, we'll see this next week, Elijah said, I alone am left. Is that true? Let's be real for a second. Are you alone? Are you? Let's start the easy one. Spiritually, are you alone? No, God will never leave you. 
or forsake you. But how about, how about even with people? Are you alone? God says, I got 120, 130 people who have not bowed the knee. You are not alone. Satan will want you to think you are so that you won't share your burdens with someone, so that you won't risk because you're thinking everybody else in the room has got it together. I alone have problems, right? And, and I would just say, is that true? No. Is there anybody here who doesn't have struggles or doesn't have problems? No. You're not alone. Certainly spiritually, and you're not alone. Even with other Jesuses with flesh on, you are not alone. Okay? This is also isn't in your notes. But it came out so powerfully in Hebrews. Run. Run. I can't get my lips around it. Do run. Sounds like a 50s song, doesn't it? Do run. Just run the race that God has for you. Not the race that work has for you. Not the race even that church may want to have for you. Run the race that God has for you. And, and the author of the book of Hebrews says, and you'll be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Some of them in the flesh right here. But many of them who've gone before, and they're, they're rooting for you. They're going, you can do this. We know. We know. I'm a, she's a great runner. I'm a terrible runner. And I'm running a race, and, and I start to get near the finish line. And I start to hear people cheering. What do you think happens in my body when I start to hear people cheering? Not jeering. <laughs> I hear that too cheering, so I, I, I just have a new strength. And, and even though I might have walked, sorry, Kristen, disappointing, a portion of that race, do you think I'm walking when I cross that finish line? Uh-uh. I'm looking studly. I am running. And everybody's looking at the clock, and it says two hours and 50 minutes or something, you know. But I am running to cross that finish line. And the author of the book of Hebrews says, not only do you have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding you, cheering you on, there's someone standing at the finish line. Guess who? Guess who? The author, perfecter of our faith, Jesus. He's already run the race for us, right? He's standing there saying, you can do this. No matter how bad it seems, you can do this. So run the race that God has set before you. Not the race that other people want you to run. Run. That's actually a a phrase in the running community. Run your race, right? Hike your hike. Sing your song. The one that God gave you. Not the one that other people want to force on you. So let's wrap. Let's land this plane, as my mom would say. Let's wrap this up. What can you do today? Let me take you back to the story of the Good Samaritan. Live lovingly in broken-hearted boldness. Have you been crushed by the serpent? Yeah. That might have been God crushing you so that in your weakness, he can be made strong. Live lovingly in that situation with broken-hearted courage and boldness. Are you broken-hearted over your sin? Are you broken-hearted? Then boldly, boldly approach the throne of grace. How did uh, Martin Luther put it? You know, sin boldly. I say to you, boldly approach the throne of grace. There's grace for you ahead. Come to it. Come to His grace. This is not the season of judgment. There will be a season of judgment one day. This isn't it. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Boldly approach the throne of grace. Are you brokenhearted? Over what's happening in St. Louis, in, in the West Coast? Are you brokenhearted over what's happening in Florida or in Texas? Are you brokenhearted? about what's happening in Nairobi? Are you brokenhearted over the suffering that surrounds you? Then boldly approach the broken of our culture in mercy. Have a heart of mercy like God had a heart of mercy for you. Boldly. Why would you send me, God? What do I possibly have to offer? Stop that. Boldly approach the broken 
and our culture in mercy, like the Good Samaritan. Are you brokenhearted over the meaninglessness of how you spent your life to this point? Let me say that again. Are you brokenhearted over the meaninglessness of how you've spent your life to this point. The story is not over. It is not too late. Boldly, confidently, courageously embrace the presence and purpose of God for your life. For your life. You see, God... God no longer dwells on Mount Horeb. I, I find it tantalizing that we don't know where that really is. There's a place where Queen Helena said it was 400 years, more than that, much, how long, 1900 years after the fact. She said, I think it was here. We don't really know where it is, and I'm glad, because guess what? God is not there anymore, is he? Where is he? Where is he right now? God the Father is still on his throne, Amen. God the Son is sitting right next to the throne, interceding for, guess who? Yes, you. God the Holy Spirit, where is he? Absolutely. In the heart of everyone who will refuse to listen to those other voices instead embrace his presence and provision for their lives. He lives in you. He dwells in the hearts of those who put their weight down on Him, who overcome their fear with faith in His promises. Let me say that again. God dwells in the hearts of those who put their weight down on Him, who overcome their fear with faith in His promises. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, thank you. Thank you for real people in the Word of God. People who experience the same things that we experience, God, and, and, and who, um, who live out some of our doubts and fears. But thank you, God, that, that in their stories, we can find our story. In, in their stories, we see you cajoling them, loving them, inviting them to your presence, to your provisions, to your purpose. Holy Spirit, grant us the courage, would you, to embrace your presence, to embrace your provisions, to embrace your purpose for our lives. For we ask it in the name of the one who gives us purpose, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.